And I, you know, then I woke up in a ship and there was a little green man. He was talking to me and then they touched my eyeballs. In one of those first shows, uh, I played some new songs and this woman came up to me afterwards and said, Hi, I'm Lynn Grossman. I work with Grey's Anatomy. And would you mind if that first song you played, do you think I could submit it for um, one of their shows? first <laughs> we can start here <laughs> perfect uh welcome back guys welcome to a, the new the new week the next episode of artsy fartsy immigrants i'm your host jordan prince and here next to me is my co-host and producer of this lovely show Moris Bacharda. Hello, hello 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 mo do you um let me let me actually phrase it like this at this i was gonna ask you a question but now i just thought about this um the sun in the afternoon here Mm-hmm. And especially in Munich is so intense. I feel like it almost kind of singes the skin a little bit. And I always feel this kind of dryness in my, in my eyes. Um, I, I really like it. it. It feels good and stuff, but that's always like this first moment. I'm like, Ooh, that's really like hitting strong. And I, I wonder actually if it's uh, in connection to the fact that right now at this school job, it's the, um, the emergency care. And so they, it's not like normal school where they, um, you have like normal classrooms and you have like the systematic breaks throughout the day, but you, you know, uh, right now there's someone sick. So like my classroom partner is replacing them. So we're alone the whole day. And so I have, I don't know, just a few kids and they're pretty cool, but their room that we, they put us in isn't even on the main floor with windows. It's in the basement and it's the last room down the hallway and it has, it has, <laughs> I guess you could technically say it has a window, <laughs> but you know, when you're walking on a sidewalk and you step over one of these metal like water drains. And that's how the, the, the windows build. The, the, the Yeah. So if you open that window, you can put your arm out, maybe like from elbow to hand mm-hmm. and touch the wall. Yeah. And so they, then it goes straight up. It goes straight up to the grate. So you're looking at a wall and you don't get any sunlight. Ah, uh, damn. So it's really damp and dungeony, and there's so many spider webs down there, and like dead bugs everywhere, and dirt for some reason. Like, I guess they don't clean it that much. <laughs> and within uh, the room or within this little well, like hole. all like in there, of course, they wouldn't clean that too much. But also, like on the floor, it's just kind of weird and damp. And you only have these like five or six really strong white fluorescent lights, like in an office. Mm-hmm. You have one gray table, and for some reason, there's just a piano in there. So you just have this kind of vague room, and then, you know, the kids, they Zoom their lessons, even though they're at school. So the thing is, they have, like, group, let's say, for example, group one goes to their classroom on this week, and group two would be mine, and we'd be downstairs Zooming in the lessons and being at the school, but not a part of the classroom. Okay. And then the next week, they switch. So I get like five or six of the emergency care kids with me all day in the basement and the other ones would join the class upstairs. It's really weird. I don't actually get the system entirely because the kids all kind of cross paths with each other anyway throughout the day. So I think they could just wear masks and be in the classroom. But anyway, I'm in this dark, weird fluorescent room all day and we have laptops. So the kids, you know, they, they zoom, but then when they finish their homework, they want to either watch something or play video games. So you get really wrapped up in 
looking at the screen a lot. And of course you're bored. You're, yeah, you're yeah. super bored. So you're, you're also looking at the laptop, checking emails, looking at Reddit. Sometimes you're, you have nothing to do at all. So you even play a, a game with them. You look at your phone, you check messages, you look at Instagram, you look at TikTok, whatever, everything. And, you know, we don't switch upstairs until almost two o'clock. So the last hour and a half at school, I'm upstairs. The first, I don't know, six. I'm so that's downstairs. the first time when you actually get some sunlight. Yeah. So it's even, yeah, exactly. So like when I finally come home, my window is facing, I think, northwest or southwest, but really west. So that all that afternoon sunlight just beams in. And when I go on the balcony, like I'm finally getting like this huge hit of sunlight that I don't have for most of my day. Yeah. And it feels crazy. It feels really like um, extra. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I totally feel that because um, I don't know. I never, never had this um, before, but since I, I have a full-time job and I have an, an office where um, we, I don't, I don't let that much sunlight in. I, I shut the, or I let the, the, the thing down. How do you call it? Like the blinds, you drop the blinds. Down. I, I drop the blinds down because um, when I do video editing, etc., I have to right. have a, a clear um, side on, on, on my screen. Yeah. And so, um, and it's, and it's weird because at university I never had this and in, in school not because there you would also always be in, in, in my case, in rooms where you get a lot of light and you, you also wear, um, wear shorts there and it's warm ah, okay. during, during the day. And <laughs> now I'm in a situation where I, where I realize how warm it is outside when I, when I go outside for, for a cigarette or whatever. Right. And in between it's like, okay, this could be, I don't know, April, it, it could be July. Obviously it's a little bit warmer right. in there. Um, same with studios, <laughs> which yeah. are isolated so well. Um, and, and that's, that's weird. So I, I totally get the point that you, that you have another realization <laughs> for, or of, getting sunlight and yeah. actually getting how how the how the, the 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 situation is outside within a day when you get off work yeah it's just hitting like a little bit harder um but i yeah i we guys we have such an awesome show today we have um a really really great guest coming up really really great musician uh i don't want to spoil anything fun fact mm -hmm. we already have done this interview and we still <laughs> don't know the actual name of our guest. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's, uh, yeah, she's got a stage name uh, that actually she uh, developed when she was a little girl. And you're going to hear all about that later. We just, we just did the interview and uh, we're really happy with it. And you're going to love the show. It's so, uh, such a great interview. I really had a lot of fun. Um, and actually today we're doing this, you know, last week we did the jumbo special in, uh, Moritz's apartment and today we're doing it in my apartment. Welcome to my home, by the way. It's super nice to be here. And I just thought about it. I guess it's the first time within 2020 that I am actually here. Yeah. Because actually, the last yeah. time we met was in, in February, like we, we mentioned last episode, Yeah, but that was somewhere at the radio station. And I've, I guess I've not been at your apartment before this day. 
within this year, which is super crazy. I guess the last time you were here was either, I guess it must have been my birthday party. Yeah, I guess. Oh man, that was November. Wow, that was so long ago. That's really wild. But I always love to be here because Jordan lives in this great apartment with where you, you get so much light and has a, has a pretty cozy kitchen slash slash living room and we're recording on a pretty comfortable couch it's just Dude, great to be here that's the benefit really i really like doing um doing podcasts in this scenario where we can sit comfortably on the sofa you know we can we can like look at each other we can kind of just chill and you know we have our water and we have our drinks and um yeah doing it from here always feels really cozy like it's funny too because the last um i don't know like 1000 episodes that we've done where we weren't together. Uh, I was always here at home, but I was actually in the bedroom for, for all of them. But it's the same idea. Like I think there's going to be so many jobs and so many professions and so many hobbies that people have had to uh, manipulate into being able to do it at home. And now they realize how comfortable and, and safe and, you know, how easy it would also be to do these j certain jobs and stuff from home that I think even when Corona has a vaccine, people are going to probably fight to keep that yeah. position, you know? Yeah. And same for us. I think as long as we have our, our little technical setup, which we could take at any place. Dude, I mean, the it's gear, super easy. The gear you have here is perfect for traveling anywhere. It's just uh, like a mic arm. I mean, I have my own mic and stand here, but you know, you have that too. And, uh, like this great little interface here. Yeah. Uh, and one laptop and there we go. That's all you need. It's perfect. Does like, is your laptop storing the data of this podcast on its own or do you have a drive? Also? I have a drive connected to it. I could also oh, okay. save it on the, on the laptop, but it's a big file. It's a big file and I'm doing um, many different video and audio projects. And this laptop has not that many internal storage. So yeah. I, we do directly record to a hard drive basically. Yeah. That's also what I'm doing with when we do my, my track here. I was going to ask you, actually, you have a MacBook. Yes. Uh, how old is, how old is this? three years so but it's been manufactured in 2015 but i bought it new in 2017 okay and it okay so it should still work pretty great right like do you have a lot of problems with it at all not really slowly battery um, yeah battery always apple loves that <laughs> battery plus um i get in trouble when i do video projects because this is the <laughs> we do a lot of mac mac uh, name dropping it's the macbook air um, which is basically they sponsor us. <laughs> which is basically um, kind of a of a student's um, laptop and doesn't have that much. Um, it's not really made for for um, big data and video editing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So audio editing and and Photoshop, etc., runs pretty pretty good. And all of the other things you all the the, the office programs you you could need. But video editing, etc., is really a challenge to do on this thing. Yeah, I can totally imagine that. Um, my laptop is extremely old, man. I really, I need to put some money aside and just get the new one. That's what Ify's always telling me to do. But it's from, I think, so I got it in college. I got it in like 2009 or 10. What? 
So it's already somewhere between 11, 10 or 11 years old. Crazy. Right. It, it, which, yeah, that's nuts. Like in today's, you know, fast paced technological yeah. switcheroo. Everyone has a new phone every two years, etc. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but I'm, I'm the worst with phones as well. Like I really, I really won't go through the process of getting a new one until mine's crumbling apart in my hands and I can't make any calls or anything with it. Um, but the laptop, <clears throat> strangely enough, the biggest issue it has, of course, is battery. So that's really annoying if I have to travel with it because I just, it's just an unusable block that takes up space <laughs> until I plug it in the wall. Yeah. And, and even that isn't good enough because what I have to do now is twist the power cable into this perfect little pretzel knot <laughs> and then like hold it and then bend it and then shove it and then hope that it tells me the truth on the battery chart. Because if it, if, if it doesn't say what I think it's supposed to say, then I'll, you know, if I'm not paying attention to it, then I'll think, Oh, uh, okay. That makes sense. It should be around like 64%. But then maybe I'm, not paying attention to if the battery's climbing up or not. And then after like, you know, 45 minutes, maybe I'm like in the middle of an email or I'm watching something, the computer will just shut down. It'll just die completely. And then I have to hope that the next configuration I make of that knot is the right one to even turn it back on. Uh. You know, and especially if you're doing something that you weren't sure if it's saved, if you're updating your website or anything that's yeah. like relatively important. Maybe you're looking at something on Google drive, like you're sharing a file with somebody and yeah. it's just like, pew, then you're just, I hope it's saved. I hope it shared it. And then you have to do the right configuration. Then you finally get it. And then your battery or my battery will say like, you know, it'll be back at 0%. And then everything is so slow. But has, by the way, it's crazy. Um, that's a problem with the, with the newer ones like I have, but these older MacBooks are pretty easy to open or you, you find someone who's <laughs> who's doing it professionally professionally, but you could basically easily um um put in a new battery or a new a new drive or something. So the older ones are easier to open than these. Yeah. To open and to 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 upgrade the the single parts of it. Oh man, Ify's gonna love to hear that because I, <laughs> I was always like, "No, it's an Apple. It's so hard to crack into. It's so hard to change everything." I was like, "I don't know if it's just the power cable. I can't just buy a new power cable because maybe it's the battery. But then maybe it's the battery, not the power cable. So then I, I'd have to get both for sure." But I wonder, do you know how much like an average Apple or MacBook Air battery costs? I don't know. It can't be I, that much. I it can't be that much. I think I I guess. You because a friend of mine did this with an with a MacBook Pro from 2011, I guess, yeah. two years ago, and it worked out pretty well. And he told me um, it's not that it's not that hard and not that expensive. You only have to to find a guy you can trust who does it. So you have yeah. to, you have to Google the parts, yeah, and find someone um, who who knows what he or she's doing. Oh, but see, I think that's the hard part, like with anything, is finding the guy you can trust to do it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I wanted to tell you a little bit about um, yesterday evening. So uh, for those listening abroad, um, especially if anyone's listening in America, I'm really sorry to, to disappoint you with this story, but uh, <laughs> this huge water park opened back <laughs> in Munich <laughs> yesterday. Um, I mean, the numbers, I haven't really checked the current um, Corona map. I mean, do you know... From, from Bavaria? Mm, only 
only for Germany and that being pretty vague, so no concrete numbers. Okay, but still like it's at a flattened enough curve for what they're allowing right now. Yeah. I mean, if any place is really strict about what they allow and don't allow, it's going to be Germany. And, and especially Bavaria. And especially, especially Bavaria. And honestly, with the pandemic, I'm really thankful for that. Um, because I don't have to worry when a water park opens up that they've made a dumb decision. I can be like, oh my God, finally. Yeah. We've crossed enough of these humongous, strict red lines where that's allowed again, you know? Um, unlike in America, where did you see that they're opening up Disneyland in Florida? Yeah, but only for the NBA. Only for the NBA? In what? Orlando. It's only for the NBA? As far as I know. I Disney World know. in Orlando, that's the, that's, that's the, the, they call it the Orlando bubble because they, they're going to restart the NBA there from July 13th on until mid of October. I can't imagine that they let other people in there. Oh, okay. Then I really misunderstood that article. But Disneyland uh, Paris reopened. That's what I saw advertising on Twitter. What opened in Paris? Disneyland Paris reopened. Oh, or okay. is about to reopen this week or something. I didn't even know there was a Disneyland in Paris. Man, they're everywhere. But yeah, okay. Then I really misunderstood what they're allowing because the, all the, like the internet's exploding right now with the fact that the America is the epicenter of this disease. And, and especially open- Florida. Especially Florida, which had like what, 50,000 in a week or something? Or a maybe day. that was Texas? Uh, yeah. Fun. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's so crazy. I can't even keep up with it. There's over 3 million cases and people are arguing that, you know, wearing the mask is like, is like restricting their freedoms or something. And they're like, yeah, let's open up Disneyland where like so many people are dying every single day. You know, it's crazy too. I listened to the new Joe Rogan with Hannibal Burris and they were talking about how, you know, and I have a friend, actually my friend, Josh, who's uh, for personal experience had Corona and, you know, it's really not just these people think it's like, it's, they really think it's just a flu, but they, it's really like, it's, it's also fucking with your brain. People are having like no symptoms at all who have it testing positive, showing relative to no symptoms and then still developing and a really intense and delib- um, debilitating brain disorders connected to the coronavirus. And they not sure how it's, um, why it's doing it or how they can stop it. So people think it's just like, oh, I have a cough and I have a fever, but it's my friend Josh, for example, like he had these these popular symptoms for, for a while and then he healed. Um, but now he's having like really bad insomniatic issues connected to his um his like night breathing and he's his he's his um I don't know I forgot everything that he was going through right now, but it's really hard for him. And it's been quite some time since he got through the the roughest symptoms. But anyway, I just, I read somewhere that Disneyland was reopening and someone made a joke where they were like, the new ride at Disneyland takes you directly to the intensive care unit. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's so <laughs> insane that they're doing that. Yeah. Long story short, I went to a water park in Munich last night. <laughs> How was it? I almost forgot my point. <laughs> um, wow. So I went with my friend, um, Gabby. She's from Australia and she uh, lives here in Munich too. And we um, took this long train and this 
medium length bus and uh, it was totally worth the travel because when we got there, man, it was just like the old days. It was so crazy to be inside this place because once you cross- But how many people would they let in? Um, as far as I know, they didn't have like a, I mean, probably they had- No restrictions a, at all? I didn't see any. They didn't like, they didn't give us like a number stamp or something. Okay. But maybe they keep a number. I mean, you know, when you go to restaurants here, you have to sign the thing at the yeah. table. So we had to do that. We had yeah, to say, obviously. you know, party of two, my name, whatever. But um, they didn't, um, <clears throat> yeah, there weren't any signs anywhere that said how many people they could let in, but I'm not sure. But it felt, you know, it wasn't insanely packed, but that could also be because it was a Monday evening. Um, and they... Yeah, it was just like the old days. It was a lot of people, but I didn't feel uncomfortable. And you could just access everything. And once you got through the locker rooms, you didn't have to wear a mask. Okay. Because we had a theory like, okay, are we going to go through there and they're going to make us wear... A mask in the water? <laughs> yeah, I thought that. Or like some sort of like waterproof thing you wear. <laughs> like we didn't know what to expect. Honestly, you just don't know what to expect anymore. Yeah. So, but once you got through the locker room, that's it. Then you just, um, you know, you, you wear your little locker key on your wrist and you go through and yeah, we swam in the big pool that leads to the outside pool for a while. And that was so nice. And then we walked through and, you know, they had the longest, uh, water slide in the world. We took that like six times. It's so much fun. We took a bunch of different slides and then we went over to the wave pool um, we swam in there for, I don't know, 20 minutes, but then she got a little bit dizzy. So we, we got out and then, um, yeah, then like I grabbed a pizza slice and she grabbed some fries and some chicken nuggets. And, uh, she had like a Coca-Cola flavored slushy and it was just like, <laughs> we're back in America, baby. <laughs> it was great. Uh, yeah, we spent two and a half hours there, maybe just a little under that. And, um, honestly, to be in there with a lot of people and no mask and having fun and then coming back out into the real world with the mask on, on the bus and on the train and back in the, the train stations and stuff. It's so strange. It felt like the pool world was the real world and, yeah. and outside of it was the weird like dystopia. But y y one could argue it is that way. <laughs> Because yeah, the, the world you experience there is the is the world we we're used to. We we're used to, and we used to live it living for our whole lives. That's true. It felt really like home. It was like, oh, we can just oh, we can just like have fun. I mean, maybe that's the temptation that so many Americans have. You know, they like can't fathom the first part, the hard part. Yeah, they're like not willing to give up that idea of what they're used to. But honestly. I'm so thankful they're doing that. And I, I saw like, um, there's a venue in Munich, the um, Import Export is doing a singer songwriter evening tomorrow. And it's, they're going to do an open air where you can still jam. You can yeah. still, you know, like showcase music to other people and, and meet musicians and stuff like with distancing and stuff and masks, but still you're doing it. You're outside, you're with people, yeah. you're jamming. And it's like, man, it's been a long time since I saw that. No, that's so crazy. But the the for me, still the weirdest thing, the weirdest thing, or the one thought where I realize how weird the whole situation is, is how um, seasons do not matter 
anymore, at least in, in, in my case, it doesn't feel like it is summer. Right. It's like, okay, <laughs> the, 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 the thing is the last day before I experienced any form of restri restri restrictions mm -hmm. was a day where I was skiing and it was a beautiful winter day in the second week of March. Mm-hmm. And then this whole thing started. I basically missed most of spring. <laughs> yeah, and now yeah. it is summer, but it still, I don't know, because yeah. because it's lost in, 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 in this transition of seasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I, yesterday at this water park and maybe one other day also with Gabby, coincidentally, was probably... Oh no, there was a weekend where this 4th of July weekend we talked about on the last episode. Yeah. I would say those two events that weekend and this water park were the first and only two times thus far where I recognized the season that we're in because we were out and it was hot and there was like a body of water nearby and the whole purpose was to lay in or around it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it is summer because it's so often in Munich too. I, I, I get to like, you know, October 1st because it will happen in the blink of an eye. And I'm going to be like, oh man, I kept preparing for summer and looking for summer and now summer's over. Yeah, 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 yeah. But even worse so now with the with the virus, like you talk about, the entirety of like end of winter, late spring was, you know, staying inside. The All the jobs were weird and everything was all, all about the virus, all about the virus. And like you just, um, uh, you just stayed... Oh, our neighborhood cat Rufus is at the window. Hi, Rufus. This is Rufus? <laughs> yeah, it's Rufus. Um, he, he's a big boy. He's a big, fat neighborhood cat. He's like the, he's the man, he's he the man a, about town. He has a weird mustache. He has a little bit of a Hitler mustache, <laughs> I gotta say. <laughs> it was always a thing about us. So um, since this is not a video podcast, you gotta imagine a mixed black and white cat mm -hmm. with beautiful fur, but it's his... Lower face is completely white, but he has this this little black block of fur underneath underneath his nose. <laughs> He's got a little Hitler stash, you know. Crazy Rufus. What if what if Rufus is so a neo Nazi? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh man! Now Rufus, like, he's all around. Like someone owns him. Uh, He's an old, fat, black and white cat. Is his actual name Rufus? Or it's, it's, it's really what like you, Rufus, you call him. Rufus. Rufus. Yeah. He's, 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 someone owns him around here somewhere. What about your cats? Uh, they're both gone, man. I mean, you know, the black cat died. Yeah. And then the girl cat we had here was gone for 10 months. And then she came back. That's the last thing I heard. Yeah. So she came back. It was a miracle. We had her for, I think she was back for, I would say not that long, maybe three months. Maybe a little bit more, but it felt really fast. And then she, um, yeah, she disappeared again. Because, you know, the thing is, we had her inside for a long time, but she's a cat that's already experienced outside. Okay. So you have to raise a cat indoors if you want an indoors cat who doesn't care about outside. Yeah. That's at least what I'm used to. And then, or you have a cat that's both. So she's already used to being both. And yeah, we, we bought an extra tracker. We bought her a new collar. There's like a, a chip in her. There's a QR code on the collar. There's like every way of like finding out if someone has her and we haven't heard anything in months, man. Like since actually it was still lockdown. It was like the week. Yeah. Like maybe she's been gone for like three months already. 
And she, uh, yeah, she went out her little cat flap door and she, she disappeared. We haven't heard anything from anybody. We don't know where she is. So funny thing was though, we miss having an animal in the apartment so much that Rufus, um, he gets in a lot. He gets, he gets in our apartment a lot and he, he's always jumping. So like our balcony leads into this kind of, um, I know in German it's like Innenhof, right? But I, I think in, in English you'd say, Maybe like a, a, so like the apartment building makes, let's imagine like the letter U and then the inside of that U. So like a little garden, shared grassy garden area. And that grassy garden area, you have to hop a fence to get to the neighbor and then you can go into the whole city. So I think a lot of cats do that. We see four or five cats who circle around this area a lot. And Rufus is sort of like the, <laughs> I think of him as like the neighborhood pimp. <laughs> he's just kind of like sluggish and like attitude and he's like, what's up player? You know, he's just like super chill. And, uh, I think he, um, he comes here a lot to this corner. I don't know if he was friends with our cat or what, but if we leave the front door open for any moment of time, he's usually in the hallway already, or he's hanging out in the balcony. So if we crack the door open for some air, he always comes in and you know, I've kicked him out of this apartment probably 50 times. And still, he always finds his way back in. He finds it kind of like a home. And one day, we uh, left the door cracked, but we did. We kind of forgot about it. We closed the blinds down to like foot level, and we cra- we had the door like cracked open, open, and we just forgot about it. And um, we um, hold on, turn my. Hi. I think that was me. We heard I'm some, not sure. some phone crackles. I think I just turned my phone off, but. Um, yeah, we left the door cracked. We had the blinds down. And the next morning we got up and I was making coffee and I turned around and here on this sofa, Rufus was on that big comfy blanket right there. <laughs> and he was spread out. And he was so relaxed. Don't mind me. Just crashed on your couch. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't even freak out. Like He I, didn't even say something. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even ask, bro. He should just text me next time. He barely, he didn't even move. He didn't even blink his eyes and say, you know, he didn't like, oh, oh my God, they realized like, I've thrown him out a lot <laughs> and I saw him and he just kind of like, you know, wiggled and stretched. He kept his eyes closed the whole time. <laughs> so finally we had to take him out, but I saw him there like super cozy. And I, I looked at Efi and I was like, I miss having a cat there, you know? Yeah. I also love cats. And, um, you know, Tony's moving in at my place right. this fall. And we thought about pets, but mm-hmm. the thing is, the apartment is not that big. Might be, yeah. Just, just, just imagine your apartment. You know it, but yeah, um, a two-room apartment, and those two rooms are not that small. But um, two-room apartment, kitchen, bathroom, but it it is in the third floor. Right. So, what kind of pet could you could you keep in there? I, I don't think, know. Yeah. I don't think a cat would be a cool idea. For okay. the, for the, for a cat, I think it wouldn't be a, a proper living situation. Right. So, so what, what, what kind of pet can you have? Maybe fish or a hamster? <laughs> I mean, that's the problem, right? I think, I, I, I don't know how, how abusive for animals this actually is, because I think it's so quintessential American to raise, uh, you know, certain breeds of cats inside 
because then they don't have this urgency. I had this discussion a lot with Ify, of course, about like they don't have this urgency to want to be outside. Okay. So they don't like scratch at the door and like, you know, they don't have this thing of like crying for hours and hours and hours like our cats did because they had been outside so much. No. But I think, I think apartment cats in America are so common, but maybe this is just another cultural difference. Like, I don't know, but I, I gotta admit, I, I, I don't know anything about, about raising cats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do they, you think it could be, be like, it could be cool for a cat or even possible for a cat to be, to be living in an apartment like mine? Uh, and yours for sure. Just because like, it's not humongous, but you have, it's not one square. So many apartments are just one square. And I think that can be kind of like a prison cell for cats. But you have like, you have this Z, you know, you have like the door comes in, you have kitchen on your right, turn right hallway. You have like bedroom, turn left, you have bathroom and then other bedroom. So the cat can kind of like adventure into these little apartments and, or these little compartments inside the apartment. And if a cat is raised very small inside that space, that is their whole world. So they get really used to it. As far as I know, I mean, it, it, you have to imagine in New York and stuff in L LA, these major cities, um, uh, millions of people have cats that are only inside cats. But I don't know, Ify and I disagreed on that because she wanted to get another cat. And I said, okay, we should just raise it as an inside cat. That way we don't lose another animal. No. And then her argument was really fair. She was, she just didn't agree with it. She said that, you know, they, they want to be outside. They belong outside. She grew up with a cat. Of course, that yeah, was but outside. In, the, in a little village where exactly, exactly, and that's just a different, different world, you know. Like, I when I grew up, I had, um, I had, um, inside dog, my mom still has an, uh, an inside dog, and we also had an outside dog, and we had, um, several cats that were, um, You know, it was like one cat we had inside, outside, then she gave birth and then she died. And then we had like one kitten that was like inside, outside, one kitten that was only inside. Um, we just had always had like several animals um, in and around the house. But that one cat and that one dog were only inside and they never had any issues um, with the cats. You know, they that's the one thing, though, if you want to have a cat inside is like you have to adapt to that litter box life. Yeah. You know, but that's really easy to do. And it, if you have the right powder and you put the box in a certain place, like you don't, the smell is no problem and you just clean it out once a day or depending, whatever, twice a day. But um, that's really, for me, that was no, I got used to that really fast, but I'm used to pets. Yeah, I am as well, but in a whole nother situation as a, as a country boy, I, I used to grow up with pets who, who were, obviously always outside pets like you like you mentioned and it wasn't even as a as a kid it wasn't even in my mind that there could be only inside pets mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it's it's it is still a strange idea for me and if someone who who really knows about those things would say to me okay you can have a cat within this flat and if it's used to it, it's no big deal and they do not suffer or the cat does, doesn't suffer from it. It's right. totally cool. I, mean, I, would that, I, I, I would go out and, 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 and buy a cat. <laughs> For me, I mean, the, the thing is, I think it just comes down to how you, how you feel about it. If you, if you, grow up a certain way and you feel weird about it, then I, 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 for me, it's like, okay, you don't want to have any guilt 
about this yeah. pet. So if you feel weird about it, that's that's okay. You don't have to do it. In my case, I saw it so much in America that that's something I'm used to. Yeah. So I would have no problem if she went, if she brought a kitten home uh, or a small dog today. Like the dog, you have to walk. Of course, that's fine. But the cat, like, can totally live inside. And I've seen it so much. I don't know. We're probably going to have some European listeners who really, really disagree with this. But I think it's just a cultural, a cultural thing. Like I think that is something that cats are really good at adapting to. No. But um, yeah, there's just different different ways of seeing it. The second fact is that I'm not quite sure if I am um, regarding my landlord if I'm allowed to 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 have a pet within this within this apartment. In those rules, a where, pet within the flat. <laughs> a pet within the flat. In those in those rules where people in Germany say you can't have a pet, does that also mean you couldn't have like a little like a fishbowl? I guess you you could have that. I think there is a kind of a rule or paragraph that defines that you're not allowed to have any pets that make noise, dirt, or whatever. You know what right. I mean? They can't just like they can't smell and have fur everywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I guess <clears throat> they, they wouldn't make a rule about that for things that don't even affect anybody. Like, you're keeping them alive in this little yeah. <laughs> tiny ecosystem, you know? Oh, man. Oh, I wanted to ask you, actually, um, if you've started this show on Netflix called Unsolved Mysteries. Nope, I didn't. You should do that. It's really good. <laughs> it's really cool. Okay. Um, so, un Unsolved Mysteries was this extremely popular show in America and our guest, we didn't talk about it with her, but I know she knows what this is, but, um, very popular show in the eighties and nineties. And, and it was called unsolved mysteries. And it had this really great host. He looked a little bit, maybe like Michael Douglas a little bit. Um, he had this amazing voice and, you know, it was just this classic style where he would like, you know, sit with like one leg on a desk and talk to the camera directly. Uh, is it this guy who who they made a lot of memes about? No, not him. No. That guy's always like, it never happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's another great show. <laughs> that was such a great show. What was that called? <laughs> uh, that guy had black hair and a beard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that show's also really awesome. They would, they would do three reenactments. Yeah. And uh, only one of them was true. And you had to guess which yeah, one was true. Uh, um, that was a really fun show, but this one was r actual unsolved mysteries and they, the show ran for a long time and there's actually some controversy about it because they would do the, um, they would do a lot of true crime. Like, you know, um, you know, this person went to a party and, uh, disappeared and they would do the whole story about like all the evidence they could find, all the interviews that they could do and talk to all the cops, the family, everything. And then at the end, I mean, it's just an, it's an unsolved mystery. They would just give you all the information they could. And they'd say like, if you know anything, you know, please call this number. So every true crime, crime case, the murders, the disappearances, the kidnappings, the rapes, everything, they would just put all the information that they could. It was such a gripping story. And then they would, at the end, they would say like, if you have any information about this crime, please go to this website. Um, but the thing that they got controversy for in the old days was that they, and this is interesting about how Netflix handled this, they would sprinkle in these really interesting kind of conspiratorial stories, like kind of sci-fi stories, mm -hmm. specifically like alien abductions. Uh, 
So they would have, you know, they would mix in these real stories of like grieving families looking for their, you know, missing son. And then the next story would be like, like Andrew was a 35 year old comic book designer who one night had a disturbance he did not expect. And would be like, <laughs> man, I woke up in my bed and there was this big white light and it was just shining <laughs> real bright on me. And I, I was rubbing, I was rubbing my eyes and I was thinking, man, well now what the heck is that? It's real late in the evening for me. I got work in the morning. And then all of a sudden I heard this voice in my head and it said, just breathe. And then I took a breath and then I, and then I realized I was completely naked and I was lying here on a, are we still recording? Yes. Okay. And then he's like, oh, then I, you know, then I woke up in a ship and there was a little green man. He was talking to me and then they touched my eyeballs and then they put their fingers in my armpits and gave me whispers from God. And then, and then he like wakes up in a cornfield, like, you know, 10 miles down the road. And it was just crazy stories. Like some of them, of course, engaging. I like, yeah. I like conspiracy theories. I like talking about aliens I think I'd get along with Joe Rogan <laughs> basically. And yeah, I, I love that stuff. And um, there were some interesting ones, but also some so stupid ones. Of course they mix in like, you know, it's just whatever sells. And um, they got a lot of, a lot of backlash for mixing in like grieving families, true stories with people's uh, like completely unprovable, you know, encounters with, with aliens. And I like how Netflix handled that tradition that they did. But, but, um, so did Netflix set up new episodes in that style or did it, did it just uh, play the, the old episodes? No, they don't play the old episodes. They rebooted it completely. Okay. There's only six episodes, I think, right now. And they do it in the classic Netflix true crime okay. style. Okay. So really gritty, really like beautiful, um, you know, David Fincher-esque mm -hmm. cinematography. And they, um, it's the same producers from Stranger Things. Ah, okay. So it's really, really like serious and like beautiful colors and really nice tone and everything. And it's the same idea. There's, I mean, there's no host, but you, you see glimpses of him in the opening credits, like to give homage to him. But the, the four or five of them that are true crime, like disappearances, murders, um, it's really like, perfectly constructed, you know, 45 minutes, 50 minute long, um, stories and, and, and testimonials of like the family, the police, the town locals, and they give you all the information they can. And in the end it says like, if you know anything about the, I think the one I saw today was about Alonzo Brooks, this disappearance in 2004. And they're like, if you know anything about, you know, Alonzo Brooks or, you know, his, um, kidnappers or his abusers and you know, go to this website and then there's one out of the six that's about aliens <laughs> <laughs> okay but they do it in that netflix way you know they do it in the whole like really serious tone really good creepy music and honestly i have to say it's not the like kookiest alien story i've ever heard okay it's actually kind of like Cause it affects so many people, uh, so far apart that you really have to question like, okay, either this did happen or, or they did scripted. No, I would say, or there was another like completely unrelated, strange phenomenon Okay, with like, I don't know, this weird co coincidental nightmare connection mm -hmm. between a certain people in a certain state. But yeah, I would say, I would say watch it. 
that's what I'm what I'm gonna do. And I would I'm, say, yeah, I would say, you guys go listen, and let's get yeah. back to an amazing conversation yeah. and interview we had. Let's yeah with that's, with our guest whose real name we still don't know yet. But I, you know, I actually I think at this point I don't even want to know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I want to say. Um, that this is a really great interview. Um, uh, her, her, her name is Miko. She's a, a lovely person to talk to. She has really, really great insight on a lot of things. She's been around the world and, um, I think you're going to learn a lot. You're going to really like her. So, um, really finish all the way through. Thank you so much for listening. And, uh, here she is. Uh, Miko, it's actually really nice to meet you because I I heard about you from we, so we share a similar connection to this record label in Hamburg, Pop Up. Oh, cool! How? And I, <laughs> well, right now I'm using their PR services for the for this. So I'm I'm releasing. I just did a single in May, and I have another one. I think we said maybe November, and then a new album in uh, January. And I was working with them for like the, you know distributing it and like using their assistance to get some better PR with it and stuff. Because everything I had done before this was always independent. And I just felt like I needed a little extra help to get to, you know, potentially some next step. So I looked, um, I had written with them for a while, then we set up a, a connection. But I don't know uh, too much about your working relationship with them. I just know I was writing with, um, with Ina and she like flat out just re recommended you as a guest. She, she said she checked out the show and she liked um, how we did it and stuff. And then she said, you know, I have this friend. I originally read it as Maiko, of course, because of Germany, but I'll get, I'll get to that. Um, and she said, yeah, this is a great artist on the, on, the, on the label and you should get her on the show. And then that's how we started our correspondence. Um, how do you, how do you know pop-up or how long have you worked with them? Um, I just, uh, I was introduced to them from a friend of a friend. Um, when I first moved to, so I'm, I've lived in Germany for two years and I've lived in Hamburg for two years. And, um, I have a little bit of stuff going on in America and I wanted, I know that I don't have much going on here. Um, so I wanted to, that was my goal moving here, just trying to, to get a little something going, play my, I mean, really, I just wanted to play shows and, um, and, uh, yeah, I noticed that the scene was a little hard to get into here, especially cause I don't speak German. And so yes. it's a very yes. tiny yeah. bubble. <laughs> um, so I was introduced to pop-up records and, um, they've been amazing. I've, my mind's actually been blown by some of the things they've, um, they've made happen. Uh, they've gotten my songs on radio and, um, You know, they're getting lots of uh, press stuff, physical press stuff, which is really cool to see. And um, I like that they're a small but mighty label. Yeah, so. That's a, that's a really good description, the small but mighty. Yeah, I was, I felt the same way. Like I had, so I've been in Germany now for, I, okay, so you've been in Hamburg for two. I've, I've been in Munich for, for, this is the fifth year now. And I can, I can totally relate to you in in this uh, this way of like it was extremely hard to crack into the into the scene and like of course language is such a huge part of it and then 
you know, I think what we think Americans or, or like um, British people want to hear, or like, I don't know, the more West side of the world, what they want to hear, we kind of have a vague idea of, or like we're closer to tapping into that because we're from there. And then living here, I was introduced to like, you know, this old standard German pop, this Schlager, which is for me sometimes so hard to digest. Like how did people get so into this? And you have to see it from like a cultural standpoint to understand it. And then you're like, okay, now I get it. And then I just didn't get, you know, like what the other artists here were doing for a long time. And I was just, I was just grinding like all the time when I first came here, like, so I'm from New Orleans and I had, um, had three projects there. It's like, uh, have you played in New Orleans before? Okay. House of Blues. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a great venue. Um, so I had lived there, uh, for a long time and I had three different projects and I was going to this like music and film university and I was super ingrained in that community. And I don't know how much you know about it, but it's just such a musical heavy city. Like everyone's a musician and they're all really good. And it's, it's crazy to, to blend and mix all these genres. And then when I moved here, uh, I, you know, I lost all of that, had to start fresh and then was looking into, you know, all these open mics and stuff and, and trying to meet musicians that way. And it just took so long. I mean, what was your first, um, your first year like in terms of finding gigs and finding opportunities? Mm, it was really slow going. I think after the first year, that was when that was the, um, the anniversary, my first anniversary here was like, okay, you really need to like make more of an effort. Um, because, uh, you know, I got my start in America in LA. I was going to open mic nights every week and, um, nobody knew who I was. And it was a, a process where I was the finally, like the people who were putting on the open mic nights, they asked me to play an actual show at the venue. And then that's how you kind of get in. Um, and then someone hears you and says, Oh, I have this thing. You know, you just play anywhere and everywhere, but you have to be heard to get to those places. Um, so I came here thinking like, Oh, that's easy. I'll just go to open mic nights. Someone will hear me. They'll ask me to play. And then like, it'll all be just like America. Like that's how, like, I know it so well in America. I know that grind um, that I, I felt pretty confident that it was going to happen here. Also, I'm a girly, girly voice on guitar. And I think that they really like singer songwriters here. So I was like, easy peasy. Um, But it was not at all. It didn't just fall into my lap. And after the first year, I was like, I have to really, I have to do the grind, but also I mean, really, the idea is to learn German so I can really, really right, connect right. Um, because now or at least somewhat connect. Um, have you have you had the occasional person come up and ask you if you would write songs in German? Um, I think so. Uh, I feel like I've, ha- I've had that question, but it's funny that a lot of the German artists I see are writing songs in English, which I think I would much rather hear even though I'm not going to understand exactly what you're saying, but as a native, uh, you know, you want to hear the language from the person's language. That's like me. That's like me trying to write a song in German um, and not, you know, just getting a context off. And um, I mean, I guess some people do it, do it right. But uh, in these open mic nights where I'm hearing people's new songs and stuff, I'm hearing uh, 
words misused and you know, <laughs> Dude, all of the time, all like, the time. Should I tell them that they're not <laughs> saying the right things in English? Um, but also that, yeah, more sorry, power to, yeah, more power to them for, for that being something they want to do. So, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I don't want to be an asshole about it, but, um, no, but I, I, I can completely connect, you know, and there's, there's this, uh, there's this band that's like between, uh, Switzerland and Munich kind of in they're kind of a mixed couple style, but they're in my definition of, of the people I've met here, they're extremely German. And then they're singing, uh, in English to try and get, you know, more of an international appeal. And it's the same exact thing that you just mentioned where you, um, you hear the misuse of things and you kind of, it kind of twists in your ear a little bit, but you feel that you can't really say anything. They even asked me for, for the last, um, record they did for like two of the songs. And there was another really great, uh, British artist that we've actually had on the show before, um, to write some English text for them. And then I did, and then they brought it back and they had said, okay, well, we, we wanted to change some things for how they, how it rolls off the tongue. And I was like, of course that makes sense. And they had switched some things to, for it to feel good on their palette, but then it didn't make sense anymore. And I was like, oh, I was like, it's good. That, that's all right. It's, it's, it's even cringy from the, when you, when you look at this from the other side, because I have played in bands where we had English lyrics and I'm not a native speaker. I'm from Germany and we played shows where there were other artists from, um, from English, English speaking countries. And I guess I miss a lot of opportunities to get up to those guys and, and, and talk to them about their experience and maybe just connecting because I felt so awkward about singing songs in English while there is someone who obviously might know better than right. us 16-year-old German guys. Right. It's funny. But I mean... Also, like, that's pretty amazing if you're speaking a second language well enough to write a song. That's it, right? Yeah. Exactly. You're feeling confident enough to, to speak the language, which I am very grateful for because I'm going around all day like, uh, uh, speaking English, like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> before anything that I need to say or like, and that really takes the, um when you want something spontaneous, you know, you like a girl's dress. Yes. Hey, speck and, are you, I mean, you know, whatever, like speck and see English. Mm -hmm. Oh, your dress is great. Or you're doing awesome. Or like it, yeah. it just yeah. stops. It stops all the emotion. It stops you. And then, yeah. So it's it just, just cause I want to, I just want to touch on that thing you just said before we, I keep stopping you, but yeah, no, feel but free. It's, but it's such a great point that you made about how it, how that language barrier, uh, barrier stops you from being the person that you're used to being in your native tongue. And it's so hard to cross that barrier. I mean, I'm, I'm here five years and I'm doing an English podcast with my German friend. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's still, it's still extremely hard for me to cross that border. And of course, as time goes by, even if you didn't take any lessons, you would just naturally, of course, pick up more of the language and you do get more confident in certain situations with certain people. But still like, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine She's a really uh, lovely teacher at this school. She's from Canada. And she was saying how, you know, she's, she's, she's really feisty and she's really independent and she's really, um, she doesn't want to rely on anybody. She wants to like 
take care of anything at all times and be spontaneous, like you said. And she said she feels so like whittled down by this language barrier and that she can't, she can't get to that place where, I mean, for example, you know, she's ordering a package and it's, you know, eight days late or something. She wants to call the place and say, hey, are you, is it at the parcel center or is it on the way? What can I do? She has to like go to her friend and ask them to talk for her. And I also have to do that when it's really important stuff. And it, I don't know, it puts pressure on the person you're asking and it puts pressure on you and you feel, for me, it's it's very emasculating too to be like, you know, asking my wife or asking um, another friend to like, can you can you please like call the tax guy? Oh for, yeah, for me? I mean, I I'm my husband, bless him, he's he's very supportive and he knows that like there has been a sacrifice made by me coming to Germany and uh, you know starting starting a new life, even though I'm super down to do it and I wanted to come here and there's no like there's no pressure, but it's I'm an immigrant, you know? Um, so you're an artsy fartsy immigrant. <laughs> That's exactly. Right. Artsy fartsy immigrant. Um, but yeah. Uh, and so I'm asking him all, t- all the time, like, what does this say? What is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And two years, I would think, um, you know, I would think I would know a lot more after two years, but I am proud of some, some leaps that I've made, but um, it just, it brings a lot of light to growing up in America and people are like, they've been here 20 years or 10 years and they don't even speak a lick of English. You know, I'm sure you hear it all the time. Like, you know, speaking, you know, or like people who are, or get so frustrated with people who aren't speaking English. I understand that when I'm out and I encounter the bread lady, who's a total asshole, um, you know, and I'm like, it's funny because she, there's some really good bread, everywhere um but down the street is where i like to go and the first experience i'm like um do, do you speak english like may i order can i have some bread do you have any fluffy white bread because i'm pretty homesick <laughs> can i get some please it's some bread please just i'm so hungry and she's like nine you know, she refused to speak english with me and so i was like oh man she's <sighs> but like, that's just that's fucking that how be rude you know i was so upset so then that I made myself go back the next day and say, Ich hätte gerne Brüchen, bitte. And she was so proud of me. I could see in her face that she almost wanted to smile deep down inside. <laughs> almost. <laughs> and so, so now I... Um, she almost wanted she, to smile. I could tell it was there. I saw a glimmer in her eye. Um, but now I think, uh, you know, I'm. I kind of just... It was a very small step, but just ordering right. bread and feeling confident of getting through the whole process of going in, saying good morning, ordering my bread and leaving and taking the knowing how much she was asking me to pay. Um, oh, yeah. That was that's my that's the first step. And I'm kind of just lingering there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we had we actually talked about this with um, maybe you can remember the guest we talked about the plateaus with. Um. It was more than one guess, but yeah, we talked about it. We, we cover that a lot sometimes. But this is like my philosophy about learning, especially just me learning a language, but um, in terms of like us learning German, there's so many uh, plateaus that you get to and like you get to this kind of this wall and you, you spend so much time with a hammer above your head, like trying to crack the wood to open the next level. And then you finally fucking crack it and then you can stand on top and then you're like, Oh, okay, I'm there. And it's really going to be hard for me to fall back down there. Like I'm here for a while. 
And then the next, you know, like to get to that next one is so hard because I think um, probably close to where you are now around two year mark, it sounds like we maybe have a similar connection to that language, but um, like getting through this A1 level where it's like, hellos, goodbyes, I would like, thank you, you know, can you please pass this or, you know, can you please, whatever, whatever. That stuff, like at first all sounds kind of silly and you start questioning like the format and why they arrange the verbs and the nouns in the way that they do. And it sounds like you can't really connect with it. And then you'll pass that plateau kind of quickly and it'll trick you because then you get to that next one where they want you to do it, you know, conversationally or, you know, calling someone with a problem um, or God forbid you call someone who's not German and they only know how to speak German or their other language, which is not English. And then you're really stuck trying to tough it out, you know? It's it's a hard thing to get through. But to if I if I might get in there, um, take to take one step back. What we know is that you are a musician from the states, living in Hamburg since two years, um, and you're married. But I still want to know how did it come that you moved to Hamburg? Okay. Um, well, let's see. How do I politically correctly say? things <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to you just you just say what you what hey, honestly i should have told you this before you started you say whatever you want and then if you ever double question yourself you can always write us and we we, we do editing last minute in case oh, guests cool. get nervous okay. about something thanks okay so we were living i lived in los angeles for 14 years that's where i started my career that's where i um i felt most at home um, thus far. Uh, and we, I, um, me and my husband got married and we thought like, where can we go where we can start a life? Um, because LA is so expensive. Like you can't even buy you when you get married, you know, you want to like have a home you want, you want to, well, for us was like, oh, we wanted to have a home in a backyard and we were living in this little apartment and so we're like, where can we buy a house? Okay, Nashville. Like we thought about all different places. Like what makes sense where we can be around music, but like it it ticks all the boxes. So like, okay, Nashville, music, you know, it's close to family because I'm from Georgia. Um, and, uh, you know, it's got a major airport. We can fly anywhere we need to. It gets, it's a straight flight to London because my husband's half British or, well, he's half American and half German, but he was born and raised in London. Very complex. Ooh, saucy. <laughs> complex character. Um, <laughs> so we settled on Nashville. And then, so yeah, we got married, packed all of our stuff up, moved to Nashville. We were there for about three years. And same thing. It was really hard to get my career started there because it's a small bubble and a small circle of musicians. And oh, it was tough. The competition must be insane there. It was really tough. And I was like, I came in there very confident because I was like, okay, I've pretty much cracked the code in LA. So how hard can it be to go to Nashville and get in, you know, same language, all that. Right. And it was really, really difficult and it didn't happen. Um, so after three years, yeah, we had, we had a baby. We were just sitting on the couch, like watching the election. Our baby, our son was like, I don't know, a few months old. He, he was born in July and the election was in November. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so that happened and we were like, um, 
you know, maybe we go try something else out outside of America because um, things were getting really intense, not necessarily like who lost or who won, but it was um, a lot of division between people and it was a real stress to be a young yeah. family. So we we're like, okay, let's go, let's go on an adventure. So we bought tickets that night um, to go the next summer to spend the summer in Europe because we knew we wanted to live in Europe. So we planned all this, out this crazy trip where we went to um, London and Berlin and Madrid and I think that's it, Malaga. And then we thought, oh, uh, when we were in Berlin, we had an opportunity to visit a cousin in Hamburg. So we just came to Hamburg for the weekend. And as soon as we got to the main train station, Hoppenhof, we were, something was magical. I don't know, what, I can't explain it, but something spoke to both of us. And we were like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Like, let's not talk about it till the end of the trip. And um, so we couldn't contain ourselves that night. We're like, over wine, we're like, Hamburg might be where it's at like we this is like a little village it's cool it's good for kids there's water there's um you know yes. it's beautiful it's beautiful and yeah, so nice. yeah this was pretty much our last um our last place on the you know for our trip and we went back to Nashville and we're like okay fuck it let's do it let's do something crazy <laughs> so we packed up all of our stuff yeah. we took a year to make the transition and uh we just came to Hamburg and um and every day, I swear, we are we feel very lucky. We are like, we wake up in our a little apartment and just say how grateful we are. And we're not cheesy, yes. hippie people. I mean, we're kind of hippie, but like, we're not like, oh, I'm <laughs> so grateful for this. You know? <laughs> you know, air we breathe. We're not always saying that, but um, we feel very happy here. So I, yeah, I'm so actually excited to talk to you about your perception of of the, the great qualities of living in Germany as opposed to the country that we left behind at, at seemingly the perfect moment. <laughs> I know. By the way, what, so did, did I get right? The, 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 the last presidential elections were the, the final event that made you say, okay, we're moving out of the state. Not crazy. It was always something my husband wanted to do because he's half German. His dad's from near Berlin. And, um, we were thinking like, okay, you know, he was always like, oh, that'd be so great. And I'm like, yeah, it'd be so great. But I would never take it seriously. And that night right. I was like, okay, let's just, let's just go check it out. Let's dip our toes in the water, try out each city for a couple of weeks. And at the end of the summer, like if nothing felt right, then we just stay in Nashville or maybe we move back to LA. We were, they say like when you have kids, you really have to make a choice when they're in like school age. So I felt this. I felt this freedom, but also like we need to maybe if we're going to stay somewhere, we need to pick the right place that we want to stay for a long time. So we have basically five years or four years to knock it out and really find somewhere that we like. Do you, do you still see so you don't see Hamburg as like a permanent place at the moment? No, I do. I do. I'm saying okay, at the okay. time we were thinking um, we need to choose wisely, basically. Oh, I see. I see. OK, OK. Yeah, I think Germany, honestly, if people are moving or if, if people are trying to get out of America, I think Germany is probably one of the top three countries you could move to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, this this fear and this restriction restriction and stuff that we have with language is, is like such a small problem 
in comparison to all of these crazy rewards you get, like, I don't, I, you know, I'm really interested to dive into your backstory too. Is like, I was also from Mississippi, you're from Georgia. Um, we have this, I think we have a similar background in that way. And I'm curious about the life that you, that you had there. And then, I mean, just in my experience, I came here in 2015 and the, of course the first year, first two years, whatever, like it's a lot of adjustment, a lot of second guessing if this was the real plan or not, you know, kind of thinking, kind of feeling detached from the surroundings enough to where I could go back if I really wanted to. And then, I don't know, then this sort of thing clicked where I was like, I think it was maybe my first uh, day job paycheck or something where I thought, oh, that's funny. Because I think it was at a cafe or or some restaurant. And I thought, I've never been paid this for a cafe or job, cafe or restaurant job in America ever, not once. And I was like, that's really different. You know, then they were like, oh, by the way, you know, your health insurance is covered through the job. So you don't have to worry about, um, you know, going to the doctor or getting an ambulance or anything like that. And I was like, oh, that's a huge that's a huge difference there, you know? Yeah. We felt and, in a way that you're, we're getting paid to move to Germany because it's like, okay, public transportation. <laughs> yeah. So no car payment. Okay. No car insurance payment. Cool. Cha-ching. And then no uh, health insurance. Well, you know, they say, oh, you do pay health insurance. And we do, but like not nearly. Right. Not but nearly But it's not the same situation at all. For you know, I, three, I, I, for a family of three. We were paying like, yeah. I think yeah. it was $2,500 a month, a month. Yeah. Plus your car insurance, plus your phone bills, plus your rent, plus water, plus electric. Everything. So mortgage, was, everything. When we were thinking like, okay, so we put all that on hold. We come here. Um, yeah. And it's somewhat, I mean, somehow we're keeping afloat. It's not like, you know, woo, like let's buy a boat. Sure, but, sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh but yeah it's, a boat. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, very american i missed that <laughs> yeah but it's good it, it feels um it feels like the right choice still I, I do miss my family it sucks i i wish they were closer especially now i think like you know it's really shitty my parents were supposed to come and visit in june it would have been my dad's first trip outside of america and that's a bummer because i want to show them how beautiful the city is and the life we've made and how there's so many other different trains of thought happening outside of America. And there's so many different cultures and different people. And I mean, I don't know, America's a melting pot, but like where I'm from is very. But I think, I mean, like on paper, you know, and stuff and in, in bigger cities, the country is definitely a melting pot and stuff, but I don't think it's as appreciated. And I think depending where you are, you live in such a bubble and you, you really, you know, and like, I don't, you and I both were, especially being from the South, it was like beaten into us every day at school. I pledge allegiance to the flag. You know, it was such a, such, such crazy amounts of unnecessary patriotism to force us to really believe for so long that this was the number one greatest country you could ever imagine living in, no matter what. And then you just take a summer in a different country or like, you know, in our case, a couple of years. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. They have lots of problems that they don't talk about. And oh, that's funny how they, you know, that's very political to get into like the rich and poor situation. But just you just see the issues that you had never really thought about until you 
saw it from like a different perspective. Yeah. One thing I noticed, I mean, the obvious thing is health, healthcare. Like why wouldn't a country want their citizens to be healthy? Where, where is the, how does that make any sense? Like, Oh, sorry, you're poor. Go fuck yourself. Like it's, uh, that's one of the huge, um, benefits of being in germany but just like moral a moral benefit knowing that people are taken care of if they're not making enough money they are still going to be helped when they're sick when they when you know i've all kinds of things having a baby like having a baby is so stressful anyway but like if you don't have health insurance that's super expensive and you get constant like uh, you know, emails and and people like sending uh, what is it mail that that thing in your mailbox <laughs> post. <And> I'm like, <laughs> what is that thing? It's like paper. It's got some stamps. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're they they're, you're being attacked. And I I was on the phone even though I ha- had health insurance. I was on the phone constantly I've, with a newborn in my hands, like yelling at someone like. Why am I being charged by 15 different people from one hospital that I had this baby in? Um, and it's just it's almost like they confuse you so much, like the health insurance um, industry just confuses you so much to be like, OK, I just I'm going to pay it, whatever. Just just because I would like to be I would like to see um, maybe some shock on Mo's face. Would you be comfortable sharing how, how expensive it was to actually have your baby in a hospital? I think it was, uh, I want to say fourteen or $16,000. Thousand? Yeah. <laughs> Thousand? Yeah. <laughs> what the actual fuck? If you would have said, okay, like 1400 1600 we'd say, okay, still tough, but okay, but $16,000. Let's talk about that's after I'm paying $700 a month for my own health insurance every month just to have the freedom of saying, oh, I have health insurance and paying a a deductible of 35, wait, no, $4,500. So Mm -hmm. all of that added up. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, and God forbid you have any student loans. And then you're sliding into your your child's yeah. <laughs> student uh, college it's, uh, payment or whatever. It's unimaginable that that system is like the norm, and we just we just bought it. We just thought like that's how it that's that's good. That's we're we're fine. It's pretty trippy. My husband got his appendix w- randomly. We were in um, where were we? We were in L.A. Uh, and. We were living in Nashville, but I had a show in LA and we came, um, you know, he came with me and I did my sound check and he's like, oh, my stomach hurts. And I'm like, oh, it's probably just that burrito we ate. And he's like, no, it really hurts. And he's like, I think I need to go to the hospital. So I had, I went on stage and played my show. He got into an Uber and went to Cedar sinai Hospital. And um, he, I called him after my show and he's like, yeah, they want to take my appendix out, but they're saying I don't have health insurance. Like my health insurance isn't reinstated. Um, and I'm like, what are you talking about? So he's on the phone with the health insurance people for like three hours while his appendix is rupturing. And um, they finally figured it out that his they had changed his member number or something. And as soon as they realized that he does have health insurance, they, they took him in, did the surgery, 
blah, blah, blah. Weeks later, he's awesome, fine. You know, it's a pretty common surgery. But um, we get the bill in the mail, and it was uh, it tells you how much it would have cost, like how much insurance paid. And it was an $80,000 surgery that was billed to the insurance companies from the hospital. So $80,000 gets billed to the insurance company, and then the insurance company ends up paying for it. You know, I think my husband, for that, it was around $8,000 that he paid for his appendix being out. But yeah, yeah. just... <laughs> I mean, she... I mean, oh my God, man. So then you think, my, oh my God, it was an $80,000 surgery, but I only have to pay 8000 Like, okay, this, you know, it's, I don't know. It's this some, really saved my life here. Wow, thanks, like, insurance. <laughs> the most perverted thing about this is that they, that they ask you about your insurance stuff before they start caring about you no matter if you had an, had an accident or whatever and that would never happen in germany they obviously ask about your insurance but they would no matter if you need a, a an emergency operation or whatever they would do it and ask you after afterwards hey where what's your insurance etc etc yeah they um yeah. they called me uh, yeah i had to have um As an adult, I learned that I have hydrocephalus, which is like where your brain, it sounds way crazy if I say it out loud, but where your, the ventricles in your brain, I had like a swelling, it, it was full of uh, spinal fluid or whatever, and I had to go in and get brain surgery. They call it, you know, it's brain surgery, but they, <laughs> oh but they, they go in and they put a tiny, they because it's your brain they uh they have to put a little tiny hole in where your ventricle is to give it um to space to like so it doesn't fill up with this uh spinal fluid and just so it, everything like it can drains flow the fluid better. out yeah exactly so okay. whatever because it's your brain it sounds super intense and scary and it was um but since this was a long time ago i feel like it was probably like maybe 10 years ago um it feels less crazy now I would have never talked about this, you know, when it happened. Um, but yeah, the morning. Sure, of, it's scary. Yeah, it's yeah, it was scary. I passed out. I was having lunch with my sister and I passed out and I went to the hospital and they did a scan and they're like, you have hydrocephalus. You need brain surgery right now. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, so it was pretty. <laughs> oh my God, man. <laughs> it was pretty trippy. Oh, anyway, it must have been so scary. Yeah, it must blah, have been, blah, blah, blah. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. But it, uh, it and it's usually it usually happens with like little like kids or babies or really old people so it's random rare to have it as an adult but uh anyway yeah i know the the health insurance company called me in the morning of the day of my surgery the and i was so nervous i'm like are you serious i have to i'm doing brain surgery like that's crazy blah blah, blah. uh the, that morning i get a call from the insurance company like we need you to pay your deductible right now and i'm like I'm about to go into surgery. Like, how dare you call me and stress me out about paying? You said that. Yeah. And they're like, sorry, rules are rules, ma'am. You know, $4,500. Do you, do you, how are you going to pay for this? Uh, Visa, MasterCard. And. Oh, so it didn't matter that you stood up for yourself. In the oh, no, 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 no. So I had to pay it. I paid it. I put it on my credit card and I went, went about my surgery and everything was awesome and I made really good friends with my um, brain surgeon and he comes to all the shows with his wife when I play in LA. And um, yeah, it was a really, it was actually a really pleasant experience. Um, but uh, 
that that morning was ridiculous. That's when I learned like, okay, there's some pretty evil stuff happening behind the behind the curtain. That's so that's so unbelievably yeah. toxic and and evil. And think yes. about all the other It's really evil. Yeah, for me I was I was not, I was less offended about it being personal like, oh, how dare they do that to me. I was just imagining how upset other people might be and what other predicaments other people might be and how Dude, I mean yeah I mean, you, you think just, about like you know more underprivileged communities and maybe like a, a struggling single mother has a baby who needs this surgery and she's thinking that her whole life is over now because she can't afford it and then the, they call on the morning of her baby's surgery that could you know maybe even at that young age save its life and she has to make the decision like how can I pay to save my baby's life? Like that's, that's so evil. I can't even conceptualize it anymore. Like it's so, yeah, I mean, it, it's really, it's like, it leaves me speechless to think about how people can do that. Of course. Yeah, it's it's almost an interesting yin and yang sort of thing because the health insurance and you know the banking system and um, you know whatever there, wherever money is really involved can really um, put a big pressure down on a lot of people. And the I think the the yin to that yang is kind of the fact that it makes such strong human communities. You know, I mean, in LA, of course, you probably had a huge community. I know that's the same in a lot of major cities, but, you know, and even in smaller, more underprivileged areas um, where that that kind of bigger 1% world is pushing down on them, that's why you have like friends that are as strong as family and you have like 15 people in a big circle and you're never alone. You can call anyone at four in the morning to pick you up anywhere and you just feel so social and you feel so connected and you feel so loved and, and welcomed and yeah, that and part of America is something I miss a lot for sure. Yeah. I miss walking into a store and be like, Hey babe, how you doing? You need help? You know, like, yes, yes. <laughs> Here it's like Absolutely. I walk into a store. I mean, not all the time, but sometimes and people just, the one thing that I had a, had to really cope with when I first moved here is staring I felt like I was being stared at all the time. Yes. Um, and I've had, you know, yes. I'm like mothering my child. Yes. I'm like, are you judging yes. me? Are you staring? Do Am I ugly to you? Yes. Am I wearing the wrong clothes? Like, why are you staring at me? And I, I now I have staring contests with people, which I find a lot of fun. Like, I'm like, <laughs> who's going to look down first? Um, but yeah, I, I did yeah, notice that. Yeah. It's, it's like a staring. Yeah. And it's. I, mean, you, you, I can't believe you've never noticed that before. But they, it's like I thought it was only. No German does. I ask my friends like, <laughs> I'm like, do you ever notice how people just stare? Like in the south, we call it a hairy eyeball. Like you give. Have you? Do you ever get hairy eyeballs? And they're like, what are you talking about? If someone stares at you for too long, it's called a hairy eyeball. A hairy eyeball. Yeah. Okay. Um. So anyway, but yeah, that was something I've noticed and. You know, and yeah, my husband, yeah. he says people yell at him all the time on the uh, when he's riding his bike. Like people tell him, like you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. Um, oh yeah. But oh yeah. I know. I mean, and I know that some people are feeling 
like there's a lot of good heartedness of it. Like we're all in this together. Like if, if you don't straighten your act up, like we're all going to fail or something like maybe they're just trying to help everybody be better, be, I don't know, do better. Um, but I'm just waiting to, uh, to have someone yell at me because I've learned a new word from my son and it is cockaversed. And I'm going to just tell them, du bist ein Kakawurst. You know, I'm sorry to I'm break this away. to you, but I think we just found the title for your episode. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but am I? <laughs> no. But, um, but, yeah. um, but you know, let, let's actually, let's touch back a bit on, you know, your kind of unbelievable career before moving to Hamburg, <laughs> which seems so crazy now, like after everything that you've accomplished, but... I mean, I have to ask you, um, how was it to play, you know, this, like my dream, you know, like as a kid, I think I had two dream stages to play since I was about nine years old. And that was the stage of Saturday Night Live and uh, the stage of Conan O'Brien. I mean, how was it to play that show? What was it, what was the circumstance like? You know, which which uh, record was it for? Like, I want to know everything about this experience because that just blows me away. Show, yeah. So that happened when okay, I put my first record out in two thousand and seven, and independently, um, and then I had a lot of uh, interest from record labels, which is always weird to me. I mean, I guess they want to take you to the next level or they see that it's working already. So they want to put money behind you to make it really blow up. Um, but it was I was it was doing well in 2007. And I had met with a few different labels and my space was really big back then. And so MySpace Records had just started and they're like, we want you to be our first signing and like we guarantee you always like front page stuff. And like this is how this is the new world of social networking and how you get your music out to so many different people. And um, I was like, well, this makes total sense. Um, and it was only <laughs> yeah, for, awesome. it was only for two records and um, and they were going to pay for the the record and you know it, it just made oh, wow. sense and so I did it and they were on it they're amazing they had a, a really cool PR team that just yeah that a really expensive PR team that they paid for that got me a, a spot on Conan and um, Crazy. that was a really yeah a really surreal moment for me because I grew up watching Conan and I love him so much. and um, Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, so that was for my first record, for the re-release of my first record, which um, the single Boys With Girlfriends was added on it, and that's right. the song I played on the show. And Who were the guys that you brought with you? Um, the guys were uh, from L.A., um, just different people that um, I'd worked with from L.A. Was it Zach Ray? He plays with um, Death Cab for Cutie. Um, man, that's, that's already kind of a dream just to play with him. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. And then my bass player, Ed Maxwell, um, my, the drummer, uh, plays with, uh, who was the drummer on that show? I think it was, uh, yeah, Michael Jerome, who, um, who does he play for now? He plays with, uh. I'm blanking, uh, but it's like a '90s rock band, better than Ezra. 
Um, oh, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. I think that was who, who was the drummer. So you kind of had a super group. Yeah. I mean, that happens in LA because yeah, there's so many amazing artists and we all know each other because we're all playing the same places. And, um, if something like that happens, it's like, Hey, you're around. It's like, hell yeah, I'm around Conan O'Brien. Of course. (laughs) That's so cool. So like, did you get to spend much time with him after the song? Uh, after you performed the song or was it really just a short professional, like get in, get out, shake hands? It was, um, it was pretty professional, but like he came into the room before it went on and said how happy he was to have me. It was really, really nice. Like he was so nice. And I saw him in, um, a restaurant maybe like a year later and I went up to him and I was like, I just want to say you're really great. And I played your show and he was like, yeah, Miko, like he remembered my name. Um, oh wow! So it was. He's a true. He's a. He's so cool. He's a legit uh, human being. I love. I love whenever I get to hear a good, like a wholesome Conan story because I, I hold him on such a high pedestal in terms of like morality and humor and like gen generosity or like genuineness. <laughs> and as long as that trail keeps going, I have a little bit of hope for humans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really good. And the only I haven't played. Um, I haven't played David Letterman, but what I hear is that that whole experience is very cold. Like it's literally cold in the building and he doesn't talk to you at all. It's very, um, you know, you just play and that's, that's that. But I've only played two um, late night shows and it's Jay Leno and uh, Conan O'Brien and they were both really, really, really nice. And so I, that was my next question was actually, how was it with with Leno? Yeah. Same, same, same thing. Like I knew, I knew what to look forward to and I knew what to focus on because when I did play Conan, I was really, really nervous. And, um, and I could see that in the recording, like I was, you know, losing my shit when I was, when I, you know, was, was playing. So I just wanted to have more fun and, um, with Jay Leno and, um, I don't know, just enjoy, enjoy the, the, experience a little more and like live in the moment and um but yeah he was right. really cool he showed us his cars before we went because he's a big uh old, <laughs> he, sh- old, he showed you the cars yeah he's a vintage car collector so he yeah. was showing us what he drove that day and yeah wild he's you know I've, i always feel like when you if you if people get the chance to play um like the level of exposure that it is, or at least even was maybe 10 years ago at this, um, at that level of uh, like cable TV, late night shows. Like, of course everyone was dying to play Letterman and um, you know, Conan is, is also so loved and, and Jay Leno was huge. And I think like when you get the chance to play something like that, or in my case, like in my fantasy it would have been uh, SNL. I, I feel like I would be so petrified that I wouldn't be able to really like enjoy being there and like enjoy the accomplishment of being there. But, but like, I would be so worried that my next note would be wrong or that people wouldn't like it, that I would only be aware that I did it long after I had already done it. And then the memory would just be like stress Stress and not the memory of like, I, I played it. Yeah. Well, I think that in the moments of doing those two shows, I was, I was very nervous and I do have pretty big stage fright, especially when I know that it's airing to lots of people. Um, so for me, I, I tried to remind myself at the time, like, 
okay, you're really stressed out right now, but just remember to smile because this shit's on tape forever. And, um, and and now I think about it and, um, yeah, at the time it was a whirlwind. I don't know if I truly got to enjoy it, but, um, but now I look at it and just think like what it's more enjoyable now, I think than it was in the moment. How old were you when you did uh, Conan and Leno? Uh, well, Conan was, let's see, 2000, I'm 38. So Conan was when 2008. So 30. And then, uh, okay, nice. and then Leno was 2015. So whatever that is. Okay. Yeah. Did you notice like after you performed the, for the um, public TV or for cable, did you notice like a really big return to your, to your music from that or no? Nope. Really? Yep. Yep. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, that That's what was really so surprising the... about it. Um, Sorry, because... go ahead. But did you... hmm? Did you hear anything about it from your, I don't know how, if your, your label back then or your, your PR guys on uh, so, so why you did not have it? No, the, what I, I think what those shows are, sadly, I mean, even though you want to believe that you're, I mean, I'm sure some people listen to it and said, oh, who's this girl? I want to check her out. I mean, I'm like that when I hear when I see people on TV. Um, but I think at that time and maybe even now it's more of like something to have in your, in your, uh, CV or, you know, what is it called? Resume. Like, Oh, I did this. Oh, you did this. So you must be so great. And that must've been so great for you. But no, it really, I didn't see much at all from that. And, um, I mean, basically, we're just in a new time and if you want to really get your music out there you need to be added to some stupid spotify playlist spotify playlist uh i know the business is so different now yeah it's different it really is and um because sorry i was just gonna say like i i I, like i guess we we're, we're a few years apart but i i also um feel this same thing that you that you felt you know growing up that you know, if you see a band playing on one of these late night shows or an SNL, like, of course, for me also, that was a huge uh, opportunity uh, to discover whatever this artist was. Like, I remember the very first time I saw Death Cab for Cutie playing Summer Teeth on SNL from their Plans album. And from that moment on, I became like blindingly obsessed and became a humongous fan and like immediately went to, in my town, it was Walmart, like bought the album you know, and, and the same thing for um, a few years later in Louisiana. Um, I think it was like the first band, one of the first bands Jimmy Fallon had when he started his show. And it was um, Beach House played Zebra. And I was like, oh my God, this sounds crazy. This sounds really different from what people are doing. And I, I obsessed and I downloaded their record from uh, iTunes, I guess. Now that was already, that was already the trending thing. And, um, you know, and then recently... It's so different now. Like, I guess it's been, yeah, maybe it's been like another 10, 10 or 13 years or something later. I was here at home in, in Munich and was watching like replayed clips of Stephen Colbert's show and was seeing uh, Wolfpack um, play their song. I think it's 1812. And in my head, I was watching them and I was like, I wonder if there's someone at home that, like I was 
as a kid watching them and freaking out and like finding who they are. But nowadays they would just download the record on Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too the, um, the impact of commercials, like having your song on a commercial is, uh, another way to get your music out there. Yeah. So for the late night shows, it, it's, it, it looks and sounds amazing and it's such a cool accolade to have. But, um, if you want real listeners, it's, um, yeah, just getting your song on a, on a, I don't know, Apple commercial or. I was going to say like, speaking of this, cause now we're touching into licensing and I, uh, I have to really, um, what's the, the proper, uh, you know, I don't, you'll notice this that the longer you live here, you forget more English, but like, I have to like pay my respects to your extreme achievement with licensing. I mean, you had your roster for licensing is kind of mind blowing for an indie musician. You, you have like Grey's Anatomy and like Vampire Diaries. And I wrote down a, a few here like, Oh yeah. One Tree Hill. I remember, I remember that show. Um, like you kind of blew up. Would you say that from like, first off, <laughs> how did an independent musician get licensed in so many shows? And also was that more return for you? Like, did you see more fans coming from that as opposed to the late night shows? Definitely a million times more or whatever more, a lot more. <laughs> uh, yeah. Especially Crazy. the Grey's Anatomy. I mean, at the time. That was huge. That yeah. Was so that was huge. huge. That was huge. Um, first of all, I, I was a waitress at the hotel cafe, which is a cool mu- little music venue in LA. And um, when people would cancel or whenever, there was an open spot. They would say, Miko, you want to play? And I'm like, hell yeah. And so I would always just fill in and then I'd get off stage and I'd start work again. Um, so it was an interesting time. But um, in one of those first shows, uh, I played some new songs and this woman came up to me afterwards and said, hi, I'm Lynn Grossman. I, I um, work with Grey's Anatomy. And would you mind if that first song you played, do you think I could submit it for... Um, one of their shows and I was like I would not mind that at all I think that that would be a real nice idea and um when it aired it was the season so it was my song Reasons to Love You and it was the season premiere of the third third season premiere I think must have had millions of viewers yeah I didn't have a TV so I couldn't watch it but I got online (laughs) and I watched my MySpace page and I saw that the plays were like 100 or 200. And I saw it go to like a million that night. And what? I knew that that was it. Like, that's how you get people to listen. That's that's the uh, that's recipe. That's unbelievable. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It, it was, must have felt amazing. I mean, did. that must have just been like your dream. It was kind of, right? the I made it feeling. I was like, I made it. I need to call home. Yeah. <laughs> you take a screenshot from mom and dad. Like, I yeah. told you I could do it. Yeah, I'm somebody. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was very cool. I mean, you know, and then after that I went back to work and, um, and I, I, yeah, it's, I think the coolest thing about any sort of successes like that is just, or the most important part of a success like that is just remembering that you still have you, you're, that's just a one-off and it's not going to last forever and you just have to keep grounded and, you know, I don't know keep keep on doing what you're doing and not get you know big headed and just be like well I guess it's time to cash out like you have to keep going if it's a career and 
Um, well, that's the thing, right? Things, like, whatever, sorry. Sorry. There's, there's a little bit of a delay. Not, I'm really not trying to cut you off like at those <laughs> so sharply. <laughs> um, but that, but that's, that's that thought like, oh man, I did it again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you finish your thought and then I'll go. My thought is uh, these kinds of things happen few and far in between. Sometimes it happens in a cluster as a lot of uh, things that happen at, at once. And But it's good to remember that it's not going to keep happening forever. And if this is your career and this uh, like you have to space out your your financial situation, you can't just go and think like, oh, you've made it like you have to be really smart about things. And especially as an independent artist, because who's going to pay for the next record who like so you just have to be smart about things and not get um too you know you can be happy and you can celebrate but not get like not hang up your hat at, at Grey's Anatomy exactly exactly um that, I think it's actually important to to emphasize that point of yours for for the musicians who listen to this because I think for indie musician, it's really important to acknowledge that for every, and probably this is in your case too, I don't know, but in my case for sure, for every one like great leap and bound that you get, in your case, Grey's Anatomy or Conan, or in like in my experiences, like when you get like this one great thing, you've had like at least 150 no's, <laughs> you know, minimum for for whatever you've tried to do with that song or that record or that image you're building, like getting to that one really great yes, there's just so many no's. So like, it's great to keep level-headed because when you get that one yes, it's not over. There's uh, at least a thousand more no's coming. You so just have to like work to that next yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Even now, like I put out records and people say like, oh, this is really good, but what I really like is your first record. And that's the hardest thing to hear because you're like, I'm, I've grown. I am more of a woman now. I am smarter now. And I'm writing smarter right. lyrics. And I know that I am. Uh, yeah. And, but, you know, whatever. That's the, that's the one, like, little bit of a dagger that, that pushes in every time a, a record comes out. But, um, and I'm not bitter. I get that too, though. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's really common. Like, I, I, I think I have, like just a really small fraction of the same kind of listening attention that you that you have, but I still have the same problem, which is that like my two most streamed tracks are from my very first, one is from my very first record and one is from the EP that came out just after. And those were both, uh, one, <laughs> one was seven years ago and one was like six years ago. And I don't even play the same genre. That was like kind of country. And now I'm definitely more into like kind of indie pop and like, I don't, I don't even play those songs anymore. And they're the most streamed things I have. And I'm like, damn it, that's not representative of me at all. Yeah, it's funny. But yeah, and then you, some people, some people have grown with me and I don't know, but yeah, it's, um, it's an, it's an adventure. And what do they say? It's like a, it's a marathon, not a race. There's something there. Right. Yeah. Right. So you want to just keep it, keep, keep your breath right. And I don't know. Can I ask, <laughs> um, can I ask where, where Miko comes from? Cause you have a, you and your sister had this kind of thing with the name, right? And I want to know a bit more like your childhood, a little bit where you got the name. You have a grandmother, right? Who was yeah. Japanese. I am uh, a quarter Japanese. My mom's half Japanese. Um, and 
we were raised by our father, who's Mr. White Guy. Love him, but you know, <laughs> in Is a his very name Tad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, no. Uh, so we grew up in a, a really small town where there was just, you know, it was pretty divide, like right down the middle, half black, half white. There was no, um, there was no anything else really um, when we were growing up. And so we felt very proud of our Japanese heritage. And there were no Asian people in, uh, in our town. This was in Roberta, Georgia, right? Yeah. Roberta, Georgia. Used to be mm-hmm. population 808. Um, but yeah, it uh, it was a really small town. And we had our we had little nicknames for each other, Miko and Kiko, just to keep our, um, just to feel like we were connected, connected with our Japanese heritage. And uh, I would go to camp every year and I would always sign up as Miko. And tell people like, yeah, you're going to remember this name one day. You know, it's like 11 telling. (laughs) So when I signed up for my first open mic night, I just thought I it was just natural for me to sign in as Miko. And that was it. Um, Yeah, you find comfort in that for sure, because you think about your family and you think about home. And yeah, it makes so much sense to do that. Yeah, it was it was good. And um, I, I feel happy with that choice and um and now yeah years later it's very you know miko is is the spelling of miko in germany is i'm sure very problematic for you it's i'm maiko all day it's problematic in in japanese too because i spell it wrong in japanese oddly enough well not really oddly because i didn't have i grew up with my dad so I, i didn't have my mom's uh, influence really to tell me that okay. I was spelling it wrong and my grandmother died when I was 10 and so there was no Japanese people around to be like you're spelling your name wrong but yeah even in Japanese it's pronounced Meiko and Miko would right. be either M-I-K-O or M-I-E-K-O ah okay okay so it's the spelling and the pronunciation <laughs> in German yeah so I'm just spelling it wrong everywhere um did you, did your, were your parents like, were they ever together? Was it like a, a boyfriend, girlfriend thing when you were born or how was Yeah, the, no, they were together. They, uh, my, uh, my parents divorced when I was three and, um, ah, okay. I lived with my mom for a while and then, um, she got remarried and kind of wanted to start her own, own life. And so I moved in with my dad and I didn't see my mom from then on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's that's that's hard. I know a few a few friends who had the same situation. Like, did you did for you as a young girl? Was it like hard for you to not have that that really close like mom person oh, yeah. in your it life? Or my for balls. you, was it-, it was terrible. It was sucked major oh, okay. donkey yeah. balls. But uh, you just kind of move. You know, for me, it was music. My dad plays guitar, and he taught me he taught me a few chords as a twelve year old, and I sat down in my teenage angst and played songs about how sad I was about really, you know, feeling alone and feeling abandoned. And, um, that's when I crafted, that's when I crafted my song. So I'm very grateful for that. And, you know, my mom is, um, she's super religious and wanted to start on a new path. And, um, you know, I don't know, it's like a, I don't want to say cult, but you know, it's very super what? religious. Oh, very Is it Scientology? No, it's not. Um, you know, <laughs> she just she studies the the New Testament. Or no no the, the Old okay. Testament. And she um her whole thing was she wanted to 
surround herself with people who believe the same things she does. Um, And so it was kind of her and my stepfather and they had a baby together and they just wanted to start a new life, which uh, was really hard to uh, deal with. But now I feel honestly, I'm really happy that that it all worked out because I'm really close to my dad. My dad's married to an amazing woman who he married when I was 11. So um, I have I've had a really cushy family life. And because my mom is, um, you know, decided to do all that, that sucks. But I also think about what would it be like if she was in my life and um, that would have caused a different kind of stress and, and, you know, maybe, yeah, would have probably changed everything. Uh, And my dad gave me a lot of confidence and a lot of freedom generally and definitely with music. So I'm, I'm happy about how it worked out. Yeah, it kind of seems like everything went into the the right place that it should. And I think angst is like such an incredible fuel for a young person's songwriting. Actually, speaking of your songwriting, I saw um, that you have this, I wouldn't say this was like a philosophy, but like this was the way that you started, which was that you would learn a new chord and then that for you was like, okay, now I can do a whole new song. That's exactly, that's exactly how I was. I promise you. I, I was learning, like I had like GC, whatever that was a GC song. It was like GC and D, boom. Now I got a GCD song. And then it was like, oh, there's A minor now. We got E minor in here. And it was yeah. the same way. And then you can write a bunch of different songs with the same chords. You just take the, Absolutely. Uh, take the capo up and around. Yes, the capo, <laughs> dude, the capo has been my best friends for many years. And I, have you ever seen like the, the Bob Dylan songbook that has, um, uh, I think it's, I think he actually made it. I think he printed it, um, through his company, but it's like a little black book and it's a good amount of his songs. And it, he's like, here's all of these, like, you know, top 10 billboard hits from the last 50 years. And they have the same five chords. It's, it's, it's unbelievable what you can do. Yeah. Stick with what works. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It was it Hendrix, I guess, who said anything, any song that has more than three chords is jazz. <laughs> oh yeah. I like that. Yeah. Three I love the phrase. The where I love the one where it's like, um, uh, jazz musicians play a million chords for three people. Pop musicians play three chords for a million people. Ooh. Hey, that's really good. I like that one. <laughs> it's I'm not mine, store but it's that stuck one in my head. brain. <laughs> nice. Um, actually, I was trying to figure out if I had any more questions here. Oh, yeah, actually, I did want to touch on. Um, did did you did you grow up Baptist? No, I grew up. Okay. No, I my. My dad was, yeah, I grew up with a hippie dad, but the only way to socialize as a kid was to go to uh, church camps and after uh, like Sunday Bible school and stuff, that was when you saw your friends. So I did go to Baptist churches, but I also went to Methodist and Evangelistic and I was a church hopper just for just for the free cookies, basically. No, <laughs> no, the, a lot of friends, friends for the wine and oyster crackers. Yeah, <laughs> the wine. Um, but yeah, so no, I didn't. Because okay, I saw, I saw that like you, 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 like your first performance was singing in a Baptist church, right? That was like your first 
one of your first probably performances, I guess, when you were younger, right? Yeah, that was my my first my first performance. I was eight, and uh, my sister's teacher um, invited us to her church, and it was all black Southern Baptist church. And um, excellent. It was uh, their Christmas their Christmas uh, what is it sermon session something, and uh, she asked me if I wanted to sing, and I was like, yeah, I have a song, and I sang, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, and. Uh, <laughs> And now I think about that story and how funny that was. And she, you know, of course, she was so su- supportive, like, okay, baby, go ahead. But um, I think of that, like, oh, my God, that must have been so funny uh, for people like, who's this white girl, <laughs> this white kid singing about how she wishes for a white Christmas. But, white Christmas, I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> I was very thing. supportive, supported. Yeah. Uh, you must have been so you must have come off so innocent to them I love that yeah she's, she Miss Dickie that's who in, um, got me there uh, she has a tape of it and I hiccup in the middle I was so nervous and it was oh. very cute oh and that's extremely so, that's embarrassing. so cute yeah <laughs> uh, yeah I just I saw that and I and I asked because I, my uh, my family is Southern Baptist so when I was until yeah I guess until about 16 or so or maybe yeah, fifteen or sixteen. I was I was going to the like church with them uh, a lot. I think maybe after puberty, I started kind of distancing a little bit mentally from maybe it was the church I was going to or the whole thing in general. But by the time I was a teenager and stuff, then then um, yeah, they they also don't go as often anymore. And then I haven't gone years. Yeah, that's what happens sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when you come here and you're like, oh, everything here is Catholic. I'm not Catholic. So I don't I even know. witness any sort of religious stuff here, except for the beautiful old churches. But like, I, I don't feel like I'm getting any religious vibes from anyone. Okay. See, whenever you come uh, play a gig or take a, a visit through Munich, first off, we would love to hang out with you. And second of all, um, you'll notice it here. In Bavaria, it's like extraordinarily Catholic. They have their own holidays. They have everything is conservative. They don't do anything on Sundays. Maybe that's also in Hamburg though. Yeah, it's cl- everything's closed on Sundays. I would say that's pretty big. That's the that's religious. religious. Yeah. That's for that's religion, religion, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and many of the of the holidays, I guess they also have in Hamburg because many of them are, are German-wide. But one last thing I have in mind mm-hmm. I want to talk about is um, we already talked about your your Japanese heritage and the first thing um, Jordan told me about you when he he got this this our little conversation fixed was nothing about this but yeah Miko is this musician which had quite success in Japan how did that come right and yeah, is you- there is there a correlation to your heritage or is it just a, a random thing it's it's not random. So, um, I signed with a record label, um, called Concord records. And in the first meeting before I actually signed the contract, they were like, so what's your dream? What do you want to, what do you want to happen? And I was like, well, I'm a quarter Japanese. I really want to connect with my Japanese heritage. And is it possible? Like you guys could focus on getting this record out in Japan and I Ah. I would love to tour there. Um, so they did that. And, um, yeah, my, my song it was for my record the bright side and uh my song stuck on you was number one on the radio there for i want to say 12 weeks what um, yeah 
I played That's the huge. Billboard Music Awards. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a very fun time to be Holy in Japan. Holy uh, Totally lost in translation vibes. If you've seen that movie. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it was it was very cool. And the first um, show that I played that was near where my my grandmother was from, uh, my my family of like fifteen people, but took a bus to come and see me, and they surprised me, and I lost That's it. That's so it was sweet. So very cool. Yeah, like meeting what? cousins that were my age, and um, you know, I didn't speak Japanese, they didn't speak English, but we just connected. And we just, so a lot of tears. It was very cool. Yeah. Which city were you in mostly? <clears throat> well, you said mos- mostly? Yeah, like you, you went to Japan, right? Yeah, Tokyo was my, was the the main place that I played. Um, but then okay. I went all over. And my family's from Sapporo, which is uh, north. Okay, okay. I just asked like which place you stayed in longest because I wanted to know if you knew this artist, Stu Larson. No, I don't, but that okay. doesn't, I mean, I don't know a lot of, I'm not very hip to new music or. I just, yeah, he's, he's this, uh, yeah, he's a talented guy and he, he kind of like got a bit of a bigger break playing there. And now he's kind of, you know, passenger, he's kind of like passengers. Number one, like they tour a lot together and then Stu did a show here in Munich that sold out. And I luckily got onto the support for that and met him there. And he's a really, really friendly guy. And I actually, I, I wanted to ask you, I saw on your Instagram that you're followed by Kobe Grant. Are you yeah. guys friends? Yeah, we are. She's so cool. And we just became friends. I guess just, I don't really, under, I don't have a clue how we became friends. But um, she played in Hamburg and she invited <laughs> me to the show. And uh, she's really cool. And we instantly got along. She's great. Absolutely. We, she, she did a show. Um, she did a show here last March, I think. And then I wrote her on Instagram if she needed support. She she said yes. I played the show, and we became friends too. And actually, we've had her on the show. She was oh, a guest also. That's so cool. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Top Kobe's notch. so friendly, mm-hmm. so talented. Yeah, yeah. And Shout interesting. out to Kobe. Funny. We're big fans. Yeah, cool. Um, well, I think uh, honestly, from my side, I think that might be all I really wanted to to jump into. Unless you have any other questions on your mind, Mo. One last question. I watched. Quite some some interviews of yours, I've, which I found online. One happened in the same room you're sitting now. There was only another guitar standing next to the next to the, the to the bed, but uh, the same situation. And I was wondering because you 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 mentioned this the situation at the bakery in Hamburg, and in, in this interview, it a month ago or two, you did this kind of a YouTube thing, and you told there you're into baking your own bread how does it come you still go to the bakery do you is is your success with baking your own bread so small um wait no i'm a shitty bread baker um but it's also <laughs> i was like wait what <laughs> so basically yeah i tried it i've only tried a few times like maybe four or five loaves they've been all right but it's a lot of work you know it's a lot easier to go downstairs and see see mrs frau bruchen and uh (laughs) and order the (laughs) order the bread so still still a still a big task during this during this crazy times yeah if we go on lockdown again i'm i'm gonna be head bread bread maker again 
Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We tried one here and it took a lot of extra work, but I got to say, if it comes out decent, then you're, you're kind of hooked on it. We yeah. really can't wait to do it again. I'm going to send you this recipe that I have that uh, it's a New York, Please. New York times. It's called no need bread. It's really easy to make. And it's really, really, good. I have two recipes I'll send you. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Send it to me. That'd be great. Um, well, cool. Then Miko, we, we can't thank you enough for spending this time. We know you have a, a young son at home and it means a lot that you found the time to, to talk to us about your life and your career and everything. And, um, we really wish you all the best, a super success in Hamburg. And please, honestly, anytime you come through Munich, let me know if, I don't know if you need a place to stay or if you want to get beer somewhere. Um, would love to see you. Yeah. Yeah. Same to you. If definitely, if you need a place to stay, we have a guest room in our little apartment. Somehow it's a small apartment, but it's divided up in a micro rooms. So you have a, <laughs> Oh, that's cool. Um, but yeah. And yeah, if you want to catch up and get a beer next time you're here, let me know. Awesome. Okay. All right, Mika. Thanks a lot. Take Sweet. care. Thank and uh, I think we're going to, going to hang up here. Das ist hang alles. <laughs> All right. Take Thanks care. So for your time. Thank you. See Thanks you later. a lot. Bye. Mika. Bye. Wow, Moritz, what a great interview that was, huh? I actually loved it and yeah. loved her for yeah. the things she said. She said, super honest, super real, learned a lot of things through yeah. this. Absolutely. A real artsy-fartsy immigrant. She was a genuine artsy-fartsy immigrant, yeah. Um, thank you, Miko, again. That was uh, a lot of fun to talk to you, and um, thank you guys for listening so much. If you enjoyed today's show, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this show. Give us a, a like, uh, a review, or a share, or even just tell a friend about it because word of mouth goes a long way for shows like this. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Artsy Farts Immigrants, ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Batscheider, produziert für M94.5.